focuses on this, this question, how, how is it that we can be a Christian in a sinful world? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. The church is not the mo- or, or the, the world that we live in is not the most hospitable environment for a church to thrive. Right? The, the, the world is full of sin and wickedness. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He has rule and authority right now on this place, and we need Christ to be able to do it. I mean, that's why we, God gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus in the Great Commandment or in the, in the Great Commission says, I am with you always. Because we need Christ's present. We need uh, the Spirit's indwelling. And we need God's providence. Because in reality, being a Christian in a sinful world is a difficult thing. It is a difficult thing. And as we read through, the path, through this passage today, that's the question that I want to come over and over and over again as we see that Paul goes to Corinth and is, is joined by his missionary associates. And this is a, a passage that we're going to look at in just a small section, but it takes a year and a half to play out. This is one of uh, Paul's longer stays, where he stays somewhere. And as we open, I, I just want to ask this question. How are we to live as Christians in a sinful world? It's a question that we all face. Different times it hits us in different ways. So one option that some have tried is to withdraw. So we need to make our own Christian communities. We need to make our own Christian bubbles. Uh, you think of individuals like the, the Mennonites and the Amish. And, and they have created their own communities just based on their church. And the only reason that other people get to come in is because they spend tourism money there, right? I lived next door to one of those when we were in Tennessee, Muddy Pond Amish community, and they really didn't want you there except to come and shop at their store and see their trinkets and, and spend money for them. They, they disengaged purposely from the world to try to remain holy. That's not what Christ has called us to do. If Christ called us to do that, then the Great Commission wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Go into all the world. The Great Commission that we read in Acts 1.8 The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. So so Jesus didn't say, go and hide. He said, said, go everywhere and share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can't retreat. The other thing that Christians sometimes try to do is they they try to, to change the world in such a way that they engage in politics or regime change, or if we look through church history, uh, founding founding of uh, militias and armies to try to forcefully and aggressively change the world. And the problem is, is that you can't convince someone of morality at gunpoint. You, You can't change a heart at the tip of a sword, can you? And we've seen this. Now that's not to say that where we can politically engage, that we should politically engage. But the hope of the church, the the, the mission of the church, is not to form a Christian government. It's not to, to go and to overthrow evil regimes. 
No, the, the mission of the church is unique. We as God's people are, are God's channel of grace and truth into the world. The, the church, God's people, are a, a people who go into a wicked, lost, dying, hostile world and share the love of God. Through our service, through our teaching, through our example, we seek to redeem the world. We seek that Christ would have influence and, and where he does and, and where God moves and, and, and great, uh, great evangelistic uh, events happen and God's people form together and it shapes and changes the culture. We celebrate that. But that's not our primary intent, is it? Our primary intent is to be a people of the world, word, to be a, a, a people who channel God's grace and, and share with the world the message of hope in Jesus Christ. The reason why I say that we have that question and it connects to our text here is because there's some interesting things about where this text is and, and the historical setting of Corinth and the town of Corinth that are quite important for us to understand, to understand the ministry of Paul here in this city at this time. Corinth is a place that we know a lot about because, of course, it's here in Acts. Paul will write two letters to Corinth, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's a major place that we see throughout the Bible. And, 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 and God establishes a church there in Corinth, a church that, that Paul loves dearly. Paul will spend, as we see in this text, a year and a half in Corinth ministering to the people there. But the thing about Corinth that you have to realize that, that we might forget is that, that Corinth is what we might call today a sin city. Corinth had a reputation, even amongst the Roman world, as being one of the most, uh, one of the most sinful cities. Corinth was a, had a very interesting geography. We have a map here of it. See that little, that little bridge in the middle right there? That's where Corinth is. And, and Corinth, you can't see the... the if, if you were to sail, you could sail to Corinth. And that little land bridge right there, that isthmus, they, would, they had a railroad basically that they would load your ship on and pull it with oxen and pull you to the other side, which would save you over 200 miles of sailing south. And so because of that, you can see very quickly, Corinth was a popular place for trade. Corinth was a, a popular place for sailors. Corinth became very prosperous because of that trade. Some other things about Corinth that are very interesting is that Corinth was, the, uh, Corinth was a pagan city. It had lots of idols, very much like where Paul was in Athens. However, um, the pagan idols played low in comparison to what Corinth was known for, and that is that Corinth was known as the home of Aphrodite, or you might have heard the goddess Venus. And the primary way that that goddess was worshipped was by thousands of prostitutes at night that would go out into the city to find men of the city and sailors traveling through. 
and to sleep with them and then to bring the money back to the temple. And so because of that, Corinth was, was widely known as this, this place of just lewdness and this, this place of sinfulness. And this is the place where Paul goes into. And it's very interesting when Paul goes to Corinth because Paul, again, he doesn't go into Corinth and hide. He doesn't go into Corinth and, and say, man, this place is wretched. They deserve any judgment that God would put on them. I'm just going to I'm just going to go find a hotel. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to hide out. I'm going to wait for my partners to come and then we'll we'll just we'll, we'll 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 just move on. This place is horrible. Paul didn't do that. Paul also when we see what his message is and and his ministry is, he he didn't he didn't go after anything and everything in the city. He focuses on what Christ has called him to do, to proclaim the love, proclaim the name, proclaim Jesus Christ to them. Look with me, let's read this passage here, Acts chapter 18. I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to read through uh, verse 17 here. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all of the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned with the, in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, that, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 7, and he left from there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus the ruler of the synagogue believed the Lord together with his entire household. And many Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed for a year and six months teaching the word of God amongst them. Verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have to, the reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names in your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they seized Sothesins, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to this. There's some interesting things here as you begin to look at this passage, and you begin to look at the ministry of Paul in uh, this passage. Paul, of course, is not at home. 
Paul is in a, a difficult place. And Paul will write in Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians that this is a very difficult time in his life and in his ministry. That he came with weakness, that he came with trembling, that he came in fear. In fact, if you pay attention, Jesus comes to Paul in a vision, verse 9, and he strengthens him and he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. There's three things that I want to relate about this that I think are lessons for us today as we think about this question. How do we live as Christians in a sinful world? How do we live as Christians in a sinful world? The first is this. A reminder, faithful Christians experience tough times. Faithful Christians experience tough times. We often develop this theology that is not very good. This prosperity theology that says, if I'm doing everything right, then my life will be nothing but unicorns and butterflies and rainbows. Right? Everything will click, everything will go along, nothing will go, there'll be no problems, I won't have any frustrations, I won't have any sadness, no depression, everything that I touch is going to turn to gold, and everything is going to be wonderful. Friends, I have to tell you, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we are faithful to God, He will be with us. Nothing will separate us from Him. We will be able to endure in his strength anything and everything that might come our way. But that doesn't mean that difficult things won't come our way. But we often have that. Sometimes when we read of great people in the Bible or great people of history, church history, we put them on pedestals that are, that are probably too high. If I were to ask you to, to name some, some attributes of the Apostle Paul, we might think of things like bold, fearless, courageous, determined. And yet, Paul himself, as he talks about how he felt at this point in time when he comes to Corinth, these are the words that he uses in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 1 Corinthians 2, 3. He says that he was fearful, discouraged, distressed, and weak. This is a low point he says in first corinthians that he came to them with much weakness and fear and trembling what that's kind of a shock isn't it when we stop and we think about it, when we think about someone like paul the, the the great paul who could go into anywhere no matter what the situation was and preach the gospel and take the beating and keep on moving the reality of it was Paul was human as well. That he had weakness. That the beatings, the, the emotions, people turning on him, people not coming to the gospel, even people who came to the gospel and, and the issues that it has. Paul, I believe it's in Galatians, he lists the whole different things of, uh, of trials and different things that he's been through. And at the end he says, and the constant pressure from the brothers. <laughs> and so this is a passage where we, we tune into his humanity and to his humility. And think about it, why would 
Paul be in such a low point right here? Why would he be feeling weak and, and fearful as he's in Corinth? You know, just think about some of the, the things that we've seen. Remember, he, he initially on this second missionary journey wanted to go to Asia. And he tried multiple times. And, and, it, and it says that the Lord prevented him. And then the Lord gave him a Macedonian vision. You remember that? The vision of a, a man crying out from Macedonia, come here and help us. And, and so they, 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 they reason together and they say, let's go, let's do it. God has called us to go there. And, and when they go, people come to the Lord. They receive the preaching, but many oppose Paul greatly. First, he goes to Philippi and him and Silas are falsely accused, unjustly beaten and thrown into jail. Then they go to Thessalonica, and the Jews came from Philippi and caused an uproar. And so they, they, they have to leave there, and they go to Berea, and they think things are going well. The Bereans receive Christ. They're, they're searching the scriptures. It's like, this is an encouraging thing. And, and then those troublemaking Jews that have been chasing him come there and chase him off to the point that they send him out secretly, like they send him out away first to Athens and the rest of the missionary team says we'll catch up with you but we've got to get you out of here because they're going to kill you he goes to Athens we saw this last week he starts preaching in this city full of idols all over the place he's preaching of Jesus and the resurrection and they call him before Mars Hill they call him to, to come and to speak to the crowd, and he, he speaks to them eloquently. He references to the, the, the unknown God, the God that you don't know. Let me tell you about him. And it says that few believed. Some did believe, but it wasn't a great number. And then he ends up 50 miles away here in Corinth by himself in Sin City. Can you, can you see the emotional toll? Not, not to even mention the, the physical toll of the travel and the beatings and the emotional toll of not knowing what's happening to the believers in these new churches as he's pre presenting the gospel and they're coming to faith and he, he has to leave them. He can't train them up. Where's his friends? Where's Silas and Timothy? When are they going to rejoin me? And beyond that, we... See here that Paul ends up in Corinth and he's broke. His funds are gone. And so he answers a help wanted ad. I don't know how he gets hooked up, but he gets hooked up with Priscilla and Aquila and they're tent makers and he's a tent maker. And so he says, hey, I can work. And so now he's doing this and, and yet he's still, it says every Sabbath going into the synagogue and 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 reasoning with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, trying to persuade them. But if you look at, at verse 4, opposition is beginning to build um, as he's trying to persuade them. But he knows the pattern, too. What's the pattern? He, he does this, and God starts to work, and, and then comes the pain and the having to run that's the pattern that he's had and so you have to imagine that paul even even as he has success he begins to be concerned about what's going to happen a light of hope comes it says here in this text that uh 
his, his ministry companions, they come. Silas and Timothy arrive and they bring good news about the church in Macedonia. They also brought a gift. We read about in Philippians 4 that, that Philippi sent for Paul. So he, was on, he, he then didn't have to, to be a tent maker. He was able to focus on preaching the word. And, and he did that. And yet even as now he's able to preach the word more freely and have more time to dedicate to it. If you look at verse 5, it says no sooner had he begun to do that than the Jews began to fiercely oppose him. So the tension builds and now he's being opposed as he's teaching the word. And we have this very uh, dramatic symbol that he says. He says, verse 6, your blood be on your heads. I am clean. Now I will go to the Gentiles. And so he opens up the door and and the next door, someone gets saved. The, the, the synagogue leader gets saved. And all this opposition, you have to wonder if Paul's thinking, great, I'm going to have to leave again. They're about to come after me. And so he's, at this moment, with all of the things, it seems like it's going well. At this moment, it seems as though Paul is discouraged Paul is distraught, Paul is weak, Paul is fearful. Now why do I say that? Why do I say at this moment, after all of these travels, after beginning to have some success here in Corinth, why do I say at this moment Paul seems to be fearful? Well, it's because it's at this moment in verse 9 that he receives a vision from the Lord that says, do not be afraid. And so if the Lord had to send a vision to say, do not be afraid, I have many more people here. It means Paul was afraid. Paul was thinking it's time to go. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. I have more people here. We have more work to do. And the result is Paul stays for a year and a half being strengthened by the Lord. And we'll talk about that as we, as we go on. But, but the point that I wanted to make in this, in this, in this first point here is this, is that sometimes, even in our faithfulness, we will experience tough times. Right? Let's just be honest. Sometimes serving the Lord is hard. Sometimes being a faithful Christian in an in a, in a evil world is hard. We don't like to be opposed. We don't like to be fearful of sharing our faith and knowing what people will do. Even within the church of the ministry and, and seeing people come and go and, and, and move on. And, and, and some people that as a pastor, I have to tell you, if, if there was one thing, one thing that I would say is the hardest thing about being a pastor, it's this. It is praying for individuals, teaching individuals, loving on individuals, walking through difficult times with individuals, pouring my heart and my soul into the lives of individuals who encourage them for the Lord, and watching them either walk away from the Lord, walk away from the church, or walk away from me because there's something difficult that I have to say to them about how they're living. That, that's hard. Those, those are the things as a pastor that, that break my heart. Those are the things that, the situations that keep me up at night in tears praying for people. And it happens. And it happens to all who, who serve the Lord. And, and it's times like this that we need to remember the next point. It's this. 
The first thing is this. Faithful Christians can experience tough times. What do we do when we experience tough times? When the going gets tough, look to God's faithfulness. Look to God's faithfulness. Often what we need in moments like this is a reset. Because here's what happens just in general in life, how God has made us. It's very easy for us to look around and for us to look down and for us to get very introspective when difficult times come. Woe is me. Why me? Why this? Why did this happen? Why does this always happen? And sometimes we have uh, medical pre predispositions for this sometimes we suffer from depression sometimes we just we just have programmed ourselves that when when difficult things come all we do is we look inside all we do is we just mumble over and over and over about it we just repeat to ourselves why and why and why and why and, and we can get in this hole just looking into ourselves right okay i'm the only one i guess the reality of it is, what we need to do in those moments is we need to stop looking down and looking in and look up. We need to remember and know the Word of God, the promises of the Word of God. We need to go to the Scriptures and be encouraged in the Lord. We need to be in prayer and, and, and putting our anxieties, putting the things that trouble us and bothering us, giving them to the Lord and asking Him to work in those situations because it is a hole to just internalize and mull over those things. And I'm not saying they're not real. That's the other problem that we can do. Oh, well, you just don't have enough faith then if you feel that way. But that's not true. The problem is, is that we can forget the Lord. We can forget his promises. We can forget his goodness very easy, can't we? And so there's things here that, that Paul experiences that, that we can also experience in these times that I think are helpful. The first is this. There's five things I want to list here that Paul gives to, to Paul here during this difficult time where he's fearful, where he's, he is at a low in his ministry if we document the life of Paul. And it's this. The first is this. God is faithful to provide companions. He is faithful to provide companions. Now, we don't know how Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, but uh, the Lord, in his providence, used a, an anti-Semitic edict from a Roman emperor to move this couple to Corinth so that they're there at the right place at the right time that as Paul answers their help wanted ad or bumps into them in the marketplace or however they get connected, the Lord provides for Paul not only an opportunity to provide for himself, but friends for life. Priscilla and Aquila will follow Paul as he moves on um, to Ephesus. They will host a church in their home Throughout the New Testament, we see Paul writing to Priscilla and Aquila. We see them as good friends to Paul. Even it's set in 2 Timothy, the last Paul, the last book that Paul writes, the last letter that he writes that we know of before he's executed, he sends greetings to this couple, his lifelong friends. What a precious gift. Friends that are also believers in the Lord are for us. What a precious gift. Paul also, we see his co-workers come 
and join him again and encourage him. The reality of this is we, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of the redeemed. And one of the big issues that individuals have and struggle with their Christian life is that they never join the fellowship of the redeemed. Whether that's in a local church, whether that's in a smaller group, whether that's having friends that they make that encourage them in things in the Lord, that that they serve together with in the ministries that they're doing, that they pray for each other, that they bear each other's burdens, that they love each other, that they walk together, that they are able to encourage each other in the Lord. That is a great and a wonderful gift, and we all need that. And that's one thing that God gives to all of us. The second thing here is God is faithful to provide capital. Again, I'm working on my C's, so it's not the best word for it, but he gives resources. Paul is broke. And yet God has provided this opportunity here. We have this model for Paul in that he was able to provide for his ministry from time to time by the trade that he had learned. What sets Paul apart in this is he is not trying to make money off of the, um, he's not trying to make money off of unbelievers. He expects the church to, to be able to support the work of the ministry, which they do. They come and they bring him a gift. But you see, Paul is, is not so, uh, he, 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 he's not so full of himself that he's afraid to support himself if he needs to for the work of the ministry. And, and the reality is this, is that we all, no, God will provide. Amen? And that's a hard thing in moments and times when you have that test. I, I remember when we were young and uh, lived in Nevada as a minister, and uh, this church was not good to us, y'all. <laughs> and there were times that we were broke and hungry, and the church didn't pay us. And we... I worked full-time at the school. I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to be a full-time minister, but it never worked out right. The funds weren't ever there. And, and, and there was times, I, I still remember, there was, there was one time that we were hungry. We didn't have food. And um, somebody knocked on our door and just dropped off groceries. I, I've got extra, Pastor. I thought that, uh, that you guys could use this. You know, God will provide. We are to live faithful lives of generosity to him, knowing that God will provide. So God will provide uh, capital. He'll provide the resources that we need. As a church, we have to remember this. We, we have to always be in prayer. I mean, the reality of it is, is it'd be wonderful if the church didn't need money. That'd be great. If we just existed on prayers and smiles that would be absolutely fantastic. I would love it. But the reality of it is, is that the electric company still, every month, sends us a bill, no matter how much I smile at them. Right? It, it, takes, it takes resources to sustain the ministry in a local church, to sustain the ministry as we go out, and, and as we have a home together that we have to take care of here in a local building, you know. And, and so I've prayed for years, I, I've been praying about, you know, Lord, help us that we can have the resources to, uh, to, to update our facility, which we've been doing incrementally as we, as we can, but there's still a lot to do. We've inherited a very old facility. 
I know all, everybody wants an elevator. I hear about it all the time. Um, if you want to write a check for a million dollars, I will put in an elevator, all right? But it's just the reality of what we've got. I, I've prayed for years that the Lord would provide uh, for us that we could have ministerial help, that I could have help. I've, I've prayed for years that, that the Lord would provide for us a house, that we could be able to use that house for um, for, for ministry, whether that's a, a young minister that's coming in and, and, and being able to train and have them help in the ministry, whether it's a, a family that we're ministering to that we need, whether it's a missionary that, that, that is sick and needs a place to stay while they recover here in the state, whatever that is. I, those are things that I've prayed for, and, and I bring that to you just that you would pray for it as well. There's, there's resources and things that we need, and, and the Lord has it. It's just whether or not he has it for us right now. But, but I don't want to get to heaven one day and say, Lord, man, I, I prayed and prayed and prayed, or I needed that and I didn't pray. And he said, well, why didn't you ask? God is faithful to provide for us. God is faithful to provide converts. Staying with my C's. We, we see here that as, as Paul uh, faced opposition. He continued in the gospel. He continued to make the main thing the main thing. He continued to stay on course to share the gospel with others. And even in the midst of wretched, awful Corinth, God was doing amazing things. Did you notice that the leader of the synagogue got saved? And his whole family? I mean, people were coming to faith. They were important people in the culture there the guy that lived right next door to the synagogue he got saved a number of individuals do this becomes a, a strong church there as paul ministers to them and and god is faithful to do that in the midst of this horrible dirty wicked culture again this is the sin city of the roman world and yet god is still at work what a reminder for us today what a reminder for it is for us today. We have to remember to pray for God to use us, to use the church, to use the gospel, to call people to salvation. Is there anyone that you're praying for that they would come to faith in Christ? Do you, do you have an individual or a list of individuals? You know, just a reminder again, it's 21 days till Easter. Easter's a, a pretty easy invite for people. Culturally, they still think that they should go to church at Easter if they'd never go to church any other time. It's an easy time to ask them, hey, would you come to church with me this Easter? We'd love to have you. For them to come and see God's people worship him, to celebrate the resurrection, and to hear the gospel proclaimed. What a wonderful opportunity that that is. God is faithful to provide his countenance, his presence, himself. Again, here we have this key verse of this vision that's given to Paul in verse 9, where he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. I have many in this city who are my people. There's three things here that God promises, three things that he promises to us as well. First is his presence. I am with you. I am with you. This is re reminiscent of the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus says, go, I am with you. Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is not a place that we go that God isn't with us. 
The problem sometimes is we got to stop looking down and look up and remember that Christ is with us. He promises him protection. No man will attack you in order to harm you. Now, sometimes Paul will get attacked and harmed. God is speaking specifically here to Corinth because Paul is at a really weak point. God is giving him insight. While you're here in this place at this time, they're not going to harm you. The reality of it is is that that that, that promise doesn't extend forever and to us because even for Paul, he ends up being martyred for the gospel. But the reality of it is this. What this does reveal is nothing happens outside of God's providential hand, does it? Paul can look to Corinth and, or God can look to Corinth and tell Paul in that place at that time, nothing's going to happen to you here. And the reality of it is, is that nothing is going to happen to us that God isn't in control over. And that gives us boldness and the ability to move forward. We're not, nothing's taking God by surprise. He loves us. He cares for us. He's with us. Third is this, his purpose. He says, for I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. God is referring here to those who will come to faith, the ones who God knows, the reason that Paul's there, the reason that we go out and we proclaim the gospel, because God is saving people. We talk about missions. We, we, we talk about missions in such a way as though um, we go out, and, and it's our mission to go out. But the reality of it is, is missions is God's mission. God has a people scattered throughout all of the earth who he knows are his people. And for them to come to him requires our obedience. God has has chosen to do it in this way, that they come to him through hearing the gospel proclaimed by another believer that lovingly makes the effort to go to them, to share with them the gospel that they might receive the word of God, that the Holy Spirit might work and open their heart, and that they would trust in Christ and repent of their sins. We do our part, God does his part. And so he reminds him, I have people here. Your purpose is is to proclaim the gospel. Your purpose is to remain faithful. Your purpose is to keep going. We need to remember that. Because we are commissioned by Christ, there is a reason that we go. There is a hope why we go. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2. He says, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also might obtain the salvation which is in Jesus Christ and with it eternal glory. Why does he go through the beatings? Why does he go through the travel? Why does he go through the hardship? Why does he go through all of this? Because God has a people and a purpose and a plan for them. God provides his care last. God provides his care. This is a very interesting passage at the end here, verses 12 through 17. I won't read all of it, but basically what happens here is a a new proconsul, a, a, a Roman official comes into the city. And the Jews think, Paul's been there for a year and a half, right? The Jews think, ah, here's our shot. We got a new guy from Rome that's coming in and taking charge. And so they trump up charges against Paul. They bring him before Galileo, the, the, the new guy there, the new ruler. And, and they start trying to say, he is, he is going against the law. And it's very interesting because this proconsul from Rome basically says, this is none of my business. This has to do with you Jews and the names of people and your traditions. This has nothing to do with me. 
And so he, he, has, he, he doesn't say anything about it. God cares. God's providence is there. He, he holds his promise, right? He said, Paul, nobody's going to hurt you while you're here. Here's the opportunity where they would hurt him. And in fact, what happens, um, there's different reasons for what's happening, but I, I think this is it. I think that when, he, when, the, when the proconsul says, this really isn't my concern, then the Gentiles end up, instead of hurting Paul, they, they put a beating on the, on the synagogue leader who probably represented and pushed for these trumped-up charges to come and to waste the time of the governor. Now, what's interesting about this passage, you know, why is that there? That's interesting. Well, number one, we see God's protection. He, we see him filling his promises. But two is this. God's care extends not just to Paul, but this sets a precedent for the Roman world for about the next 10 years until Nero starts to really persecute the church. Where in many places, the church, the, 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 the Jews don't bring the frivolous charges like we see in the early parts of Acts. Do you see that? They, they realize that the Roman government's not going to help them fight the Christians, and so they stop with that. Now, there's other things that are going to happen, but God provides his care through this. Last, let me, let me bring this real quick. So, how do, we live? how do we live in a wicked world and remain faithful? Remember, first of all, even Christians experience tough times. Second... When the going gets tough, look to God's faithfulness. And third, when the going gets tough, the tough keep going. Keep on keeping on. Don't give up. We look at this promise here in verse 9. Do not be afraid, but go on and do not be silent. And the result is seen in verse 11. So he settled there for a year and a half. God confirms to Paul. Paul is at an all-time low. Again, you look at Thessalonians, you look at 1 Corinthians. This was a very low point in Paul's ministry. This is a, a, a time where he's really struggling. And God confirms and encourages him. And Paul is obedient. He sticks it out. He, 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 he proves God in the fact that he, he stays there and realizes everything that God said is true and lives it out. And there's times in our life where things are hard... We don't want to do them, but we just got to keep going. And this applies to so much, but especially with our spiritual lives. You know, if I act like a Christian here, they're not going to like me. You know, one of the biggest temptations that we all face, whether you're a pastor or you're just a believer in your life, one of the biggest temptations that we all face is we want to be man-pleasers. We want to be man pleased. I want people to think well of me. I, I, I want them to like me. I want their affirmation. I, I want them to honor me. I want them to think that I've got it all together. Guess what? I know you don't. <laughs> I don't either. But we do, don't we? We live that way. And yet we are to be people to live for God and for His glory. And that's the temptation. The temptation is to give up. The temptation is to, to, to change the gospel, to make it, make it not so sharp, to take the rough edges off, to make it just real general. God loves you, 
But he does love you. And if you want to experience his love, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because God is also holy. You see the sharp edges there? We want, to, we, want to, we want to file those off so that we're liked by everyone. But if we're liked by everyone, then we're not calling the world to repent and to trust in Jesus Christ. And we're not carrying out the purpose that God has given to us. And so when tough times come, we just got to keep on keeping on. Stop looking down. Stop looking in. Again, hear me. I'm not, I'm not telling you, oh, you're sad, tough luck. Okay? I understand there's real seasons Sadness. There are real seasons of grief. There are real seasons of these things. But the way that we come out of it, the way that we excel through it as believers is to look to the Lord and to trust in Him. That's how we keep on keeping on. That's the fuel that gives us that. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult places, in difficult situations. This world of sin can be cruel, it can be hostile, it can be demoralizing. We can feel alone, broke, and defeated. That's the reality, even for the most faithful of Christians. This is why Jesus, this is what Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' intent is not to take us out of the world, but that we would be salt and light as we live out our faith to the world. So how do we keep our faith as Christians in a sinful world? Remember, sometimes we experience tough times. Instead of looking in, look up. Look to God's faithfulness. See how he provides to you. He provides companions. He provides the resources. He provides other believers. He provides himself. He provides his care and his providence looking after you. And when the going gets tough, don't give up. Keep going. Let me pray. Father.